It's 1994. Apple's original PowerBook series was a hit product, and now it's time for the follow-up. Apple is also in the middle of a processor transition. It has announced that it's moving the Mac from the Motorola 68000 series processors that the Mac started with to the new PowerPC architecture. So, here come the new PowerBooks. They look better and are more functional in every way. But the PowerBook 500 series doesn't end up as a moment of triumph for Apple. Instead, its release begins what is perhaps the darkest period in Apple laptop history. The industry-defining PowerBook, it defined the general shape of laptop computers to this day. And then their follow-up was these turds. It's 20 Macs for 2020, number 17, the PowerBook 500 and 5300. I'm Jason Snell. So let's start with the good. The PowerBook 500 series, codenamed Blackbird, have stereo speakers, a full-sized keyboard with function keys, an Ethernet port, modular expansion bays, and even the ability to automatically go to sleep when you close the lid. Here's John Syracuse. Let's just reflect for a moment on the fact that they wasted a very cool codename, Blackbird, which reminds you of the SR-71, a very cool airplane. They wasted that name on this computer. And the thing is, the name mostly fit. Like, the plastic was a darker black, I think, than the ones that had come before it. And it was curvy. Like, the curved front was like, ooh, it's modern and curvy. And there was the strange new input device that replaced the trackball on the original models and changed the world. Now, follow me here. Instead of pushing a little ball around to move your pointer on the screen, you instead put your finger on a featureless square just below the keyboard and slide it around comically small like by today's standards you look at it it looks like a joke like that's the trackpad is that like an opening through which i can view the trackpad? like <laughs> that's the whole trackpad it was like two and a half inches square or something it was so small i mean and this the thing is the screens were smaller too but not that much smaller like first of all the screens were still landscape oriented they were wider than they were tall but the trackpad was basically a square or possibly taller than it was wide and, you know, and the material, they were sort of like this plasticky material that would gather your finger de- grease very effectively. And a huge button, a huge physical button that you press down and went click. You couldn't press on the trackpad. Here's what MacWeek said at the time. A rectangular high-resolution touchpad controls the pointer. Called Midas Touchpad, it reportedly uses special tracking software to increase the distance the mouse travels across the screen the faster a user's finger moves on the touchpad's glass. Sources said Midas takes some getting used to, but is both more reliable and accurate than a trackball. The Midas touchpad branding wasn't long for this world, but the trackpad is still with us. So that's a good thing. Now to the problem. Remember what I said about Apple being in the middle of a transition to a new chip architecture, the PowerPC, during this time? Here's the thing. The PowerBook 500 series didn't use the PowerPC chips. It was using an older generation Motorola 68030 processor instead. It's going to be okay. It's fine. Apple has a plan. They're going to Star Wars this thing. (laughs) 
Now, if you weren't a kid in the summer of 1977, you may not understand just how big Star Wars was back then. It was shocking. It was an unexpected phenomenon. And Kenner, the company that had the Star Wars toy license, wasn't prepared for the massive demand for Star Wars toys. It turned out there was no way they could make enough Star Wars action figures by Christmas of 1977. So they were going to miss the biggest opportunity in the company's history. So they did an amazing thing. They sold an empty box with a coupon inside. Star Wars figures. R2-D2, Chewbacca, Luke, and Princess Leia. They're the Star Wars early bird set of figures. These action figures are not yet available, but this Star Wars early bird certificate package is in stores. With this colorful Star Wars picture display stand and certificate to send in to get a set of figures by mail. They'll be sent to you at home between February 1st and June 1st. The Star Wars early bird certificate package. New from Kenner. This is what Apple basically did with the PowerBook 500 series. It sold you a laptop. It worked. It had an old processor in it, but there was a red sticker on the inside right next to the monitor that said, Upgradable to PowerPC. And the next year, Apple would be happy to sell you an add-on daughter card, price unknown, that would upgrade your PowerBook to run on a PowerPC processor, speed unknown. Here's John Gruber from Daring Fireball. What they had to offer, period, wasn't enough for people to buy. And so they had to sprinkle these promises of the future on top as opposed to here is what this thing is. X, Y, Z. It costs this much. If you want to buy it, buy it. That's it. And then we'll, we'll come back in a couple months with a new product that does ABC for a price. They had to say, here's what it does, XYZ, it costs this, but it's also going to do A, B, and C in a couple months for some extra money, maybe. It'll be a lot better. It, it just is not a good look. They got too caught up promising stuff for the future. They got too caught up thinking about upgrades and stuff like that. It was promising way too much. That should have been cut off right there. That's a bad idea. We'll come out with a version for, for PowerPC, and it'll be a different laptop. Now, it may come to no surprise to you that the same company that couldn't ship a PowerPC PowerBook also couldn't ship an upgrade card. The much-promised PowerPC upgrades for the Blackbirds shipped so late that third-party companies were able to swoop in and offer their own cards well in advance of Apple. Also, those cards were cheaper and faster than the ones that Apple eventually came out with. Now, the next year, Apple finally did come out with their PowerPC PowerBook. And believe it or not, things got worse. A lot worse. Apple was clearly desperate to ship that PowerPC PowerBook. And it rushed the job. The PowerBook 5300 was unstable, leading to some savage reviews. MacWeek described its review as, quote, one of the worst it had ever given an Apple product, and cited frequent system crashes that had rendered two of its review models completely unusable. Fortunately, Apple was there with a software update to fix the problems five months after the computer came out. Many early 5300 logic boards were also lemons and needed to be completely replaced, and repairs on those laptops could take as much as a month. And then there was the battery. So much was going on at Apple in that 94 to 97 stretch. But if you really wanted to exemplify all of it, the 5300 might be it, because it had everything, right? It had the engineering failure of the batteries. It had 
the bad press, even their PR handling of it was terrible. Is there any aspect of Apple that didn't show what a failed company it was at the time? So here's what happened. The PowerBook 5300 shipped with a cool new battery technology. It was a Sony-supplied lithium-ion battery. But a couple of these batteries caught on fire, although not while in the hands of actual customers. But regardless, Apple had to recall the 5300's batteries and replace them with less efficient nickel-metal hydride batteries. Everybody remembers the fact that they were the PowerBooks that caught fire, right? Which is bad, right? That sounds bad. (laughs) But I think the fact that they didn't catch fire in customers' hands, people are like, wait, that no, that's not true. It definitely happened, right? Didn't one burst into flames in the the overhead bin of an airplane? Wasn't that what happened? I actually remember thinking that that had happened. There were stories like that, that a PowerBook 5300 burst into flame on an airplane in mid-flight. It just all spiraled out of control. Like, it was bad. They did have a problem where the batteries caught fire, which is bad enough, but the press was actually worse. You know, it was that these were dangerous. And let's use it as a metaphor for a company that is a dumpster fire was jumped on quote-unquote beleaguered Apple, right? Apple was beleaguered at the time. And here's the perfect metaphor for a, a columnist wanting to make hay about the company and predict its demise. Well, what more could you ask for than laptops that were catching fire? Hey, everybody, here's our new laptop. It caught on fire. Wait, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, here's our new laptop, now with 70% less battery, but it won't catch on fire, probably. I'm also baffled by the fact that the PowerBook 5300 dropped both onboard Ethernet and internal modem. I mean, it's not like networking is important on a laptop or something. But it did have a clever expansion bay. You could pull the floppy drive out and replace it with something else. And that's great because this is the heyday of the CD-ROM. People are playing Myst and they're reading Cinemania and they're watching teeny tiny QuickTime movies of a hard day's night on their desktop Macs. And Apple somehow designed the PowerBook 5300 with a removable storage bay that was too small to fit a CD-ROM. The idea of an accessory bay was clever, and at the time really was, I think, a good idea. But not having a CD-ROM drive at that time was just such a miss. Here's Andy Anatko, who was a columnist for Mac User Magazine at the time. You are aware that CD-ROM is becoming important. All the things you put into this machine show that you know about it. But you are still not preparing this machine for that future, are you? So, okay. <laughs> Again, Jeff Goldblum, still very hip, still still a very, very lovely gentleman, I'm sure. Oh, I didn't even mention the product placement. That laptop that Jeff Goldblum uses to save the world in the movie Independence Day. How did you do that? I gave it a cold. I gave it a virus. Computer virus. Yeah, it's the PowerBook 5300. The idea that uh, Apple got this really huge movie marketing tie-in deal with Independence Day. And for that whole Mac world, there are people with like denim jackets with the Independence Day logo on them because it's the one that Jeff Goldblum used to upload a virus to the alien computers. And Apple seemed to act as though this was a really huge point of pride when, no, keep the denim jacket, give us a really good high-end PowerBook, please. The PowerBook 5300 survived for about a year before Apple had to kill it. The cover of the December 1996 issue of Mac User has this line. Has Apple finally fixed the PowerBook? I would argue that the Apple didn't really get back the greatness of the original PowerBooks until the TieBook, right? Because they were, you know, they, were, they were certainly better after that, but it was just like, well, 
Okay, now now I, this looks like a successor to the PowerBook the original PowerBook lines, but it's not blowing me away. Together, the PowerBook 500 series and the PowerBook 5300 are one of the greatest product failures in Apple's history, even if almost nobody seems to remember it today. Modular and interesting and sometimes caught fire, and that's not good. <laughs> Just imagine how much sadder we would be if... <laughs> If Apple had disappeared in 1999 and we were doing this podcast in 2020, and we'd probably be pinning it all on the 5300. <laughs> so however sad we are, just remember, they, they pulled out of it. This has been 20 Max for 2020. It was written by me, Jason Snell. My thanks to John Syracusa, John Gruber, and Andy Anatko. Quinn Rose was the voice of Mac Week. Brian Hamilton contributed production help. You can find this podcast at Relay FM, and the entire 20 Max series is at sixcolors.com slash 20 Max. I'll be back next week with number 16.